This episode of the Punk Rocket Show is sponsored by EpicMerchStore.com, an incredible website selling unique merch for more than 200 punk rock, ska, hardcore, and metal bands. Hi everyone! Welcome to the Punk Rocket Show episode 12! My name is Emilie Plamondon, aka Punk Rocket, and I'm your lucky host! I live in Quebec City in Canada, and I love to spread punk rock music so much! But today we're gonna talk about ska music! This week my guest is Aaron Carnes, and he wrote an amazing book called In Defense of Ska! I asked you on social medias why do you like or don't like ska music, and I'm gonna share some of your answers today! I'm also gonna make some recommendations for three DBs down from UK and bite me Bambi from California. Are you ready to skank? Oh yeah, let's go. Let's dance in the crowd. But first, I want to talk to you about our sponsor. I had too much coffee today, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> So I love Ben shirts and I'm really happy about this partnership with EpicMerchStore.com. They have an impressive catalog of t-shirts, hoodies, hats and kids merch for more than 200 punk rock, ska, metal and hardcore bands from all around the world. Small bands, bigger bands, all bands. For example, you can find merch for bands like A Willem Scream, oh yeah, Mute, or Jagged Revenge, much the same, Down by Love, Big D and the Kids Table, Chaser, Voodoo Glow Skulls, Randy, Pule, Dark Hole, No Trigger, Tsunami Bomb, and so, so, so many more. What I like the most is that they have exclusive designs and we can choose between many different colors and sizes, and they offer flat rate shipping costs, which is really great. Get your merch at epicmerchstore.com! Hello crazy punk rockers! I hope you are doing great and you're feeling happy today. And if you're not, I hope this show will make you feel a little better. I'm feeling good! I don't really have anything new in my life that I can talk to you about. Um, we are still on a total lockdown here in Quebec City, so it's pretty boring. I haven't seen shows. I haven't played shows. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty boring. But at the same time, I'm just so happy because it's spring here. So I'm spending way more time outside and just this helps me a lot. Also, I've been listening a lot to the new Krang album. It's so good. I'm listening to it on loop, literally. <laughs> it's an amazing skate punk band from Czech Republic. And the new album is just crazy. Go check it. Absolutely. Also, I've been practicing some punk rock cover on piano and vocals. I love doing this, even if it's not like, you know, serious. I just do it for fun and it helps me focus on something. I love to get my piano skills back because I used to play a lot when I was a teenager and now I'm just back at it since the last month. So it's pretty positive in my life. I've been practicing in No Use for a Name cover. I feel the emotion so much more while I'm playing it uh, on piano. I feel like the vocal is more emotional and it's just helped me to spend good moments with myself. <laughs> and I hope that if you're still on lockdown or, or if COVID is shit wherever you are on this planet, I hope you have some fun stuff to do, fun stuff to watch, to practice, new skills to learn, whatever. Just don't give up. Oh yeah, and yesterday I watched a virtual show. It was a battle. <laughs> 
between the bands Not On Tour and Kids Insane from Israel. I knew Not On Tour already, so I wanted to watch especially this band. They are so great. Sima, the singer, is so energetic. Energetic. I love their short songs and it felt good because I really want to see them live someday. And Kids Insane were really fun to watch too. I discovered them on that stream. They are a little more hardcore. So if you want to check that show, I think it's still available on their Facebook, on uh, Not On Tour and Kids Insane Facebook. That was good. And if you want to support the Punk Rocket show, I just started a Buy Me A Coffee page. You can check the show notes for the link if you want. I chose this platform because people can make only one donation without necessarily have a monthly subscription. And I love coffee. <laughs> Eventually, I might post some exclusive contents for monthly subscribers. But for now, I want to keep everything free. But if you want to support, feel free to do it. Because someday I want to drop one day at my job, even if I really love my day job. Because I want to spend more time on punk rock, because it's my biggest passion. Think big, Emily. <laughs> But today the show is about ska music, so let's listen to our first recommendation. Recommendation. <laughs> okay, the first recommendation for today is an amazing punk rock ska band from the UK called 3DBs Down. You spell it. Three, like the number, D-B-S, down. They were formed in 2001 and they say they are often compared to less than Jake on speed. <laughs> and I agree with this, <laughs> to be honest. Really good. I love the mix of different lead vocals and the amazing harmonies. They released a new album this year called Get Your Retaliation In First and it's really energetic. Energic. Energetic. God damn. Yeah. Let's listen to their song Count to a Million and you should definitely watch their music video for this song. You can't escape the numbers. Been wasting my time waiting for a new solution But I don't think it's happening Most people are trying to stay upright While the bubble is collapsing Every person for themselves All for one and one for me The unity has to be the core of us So let's just come and take the base There's so many people Concrete's not part of the day You're just in the same place 
on social media that ask you why do you like or don't like ska music. And even if there were absolutely not good or bad answers, I was really happy about your answer. It was super interesting. Some of you said that you specifically like the horns. The fact that everyone is always so happy at a ska show. You also said that ska is upbeat. The band could be talking about global destruction and I will still dance. Someone else said, I love ska, but I hate the douche frat boy thing from the late 90s. Some people said that they hate orange, so they don't like ska. Uh, other people said, I love ska because it can be six or seven members. So interesting to watch live. Um, you also said it's a breakdown from the normal every day. Uh, someone else said, I'm proud of the fact that Two-Tone originated in my own city of Coventry in the UK. That's so cool. Someone else said, I love everything about ska. Someone else said, I prefer ska, ska punk over punk. Uh, you also said, it has a great histories that the energy and happiness combined with the lyrics that are not always joyful is great. And some of you said they don't like ska because it's too joyful. And I would like to thank you so much for your answers. And whether you like ska or not, you should definitely read the book In Defense of Ska, written by Aaron Carnes. He's talking about all of this and so many more. And I'm super grateful to have a chat with him recently because he's an expert and I'm definitely not. <laughs> So let's listen to him and I hope you're gonna learn so much things like I did. Interview. So I read your book. It's I almost finished it. I still needed <laughs> maybe like an hour. <laughs> But it's so incredible. I learned so many things so far. It's very, very interesting. First of all, uh, you have to know that I don't know a lot about ska, so I was really happy to read your book because I, I, I decided for the podcast to have more guests talking about histories, about some similar stuff that you do so I can educate myself at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> But first, I want to know more about you. So you're a music journalist? Yes, I am. Cool. I, so you're right about uh, different genres? I, uh, pretty much I'm open to any kind of stuff that, you know, I, I started doing music journalism around 2009 and, uh, I've done a lot of writing for local weeklies. Um, I'm not oh. sure if they, if it's the same thing in Canada, but in the, here in the U S like most major cities or college towns have a weekly newspaper mm -hmm. that is, um, little bit more arts focused than like the daily newspapers even though there's news in it also yeah we have similar stuff yeah so writing for weeklies it's pretty much any kind of genre is mm -hmm. important especially what's whatever people are interested in locally and whatever the local bands are doing and what kind of bands are touring in through town so oh yeah. because of that I've, i've always been um writing about all kinds of different music Oh, so you always, uh, you, you've always been researching about different music genera, so you know probably a lot about uh, a lot of uh, different yeah. type of music. <laughs> that's that's sure, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Which bring me now to ska, because you've always been into ska music since I think you're pretty young. Yeah, my teenage years, yeah. In your book, you're describing a show of uh, skanking pickles. 
Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how you describe it. We can, we can feel like we're there too. <laughs> and was it the, the moment when you, you got uh, hooked into ska? It was, yeah. yeah. I didn't really know much about ska. I, didn't, I don't think I even knew that it was like a, a genre with all these different bands. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So it was sort of a, it was a oh. full awakening moment for me. Oh, you were like, I don't know that band. And so the, it's a sound I've never heard before. Wow. Yeah, somebody just recommended that I go to it. That's why I even was at the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have um, prior experience with the band or the genre. And I was just totally blown away by it. Oh, wow. And you, you even describing the, the smell of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I could smell it. I was like, oh, remind, reminds me of old memories, too, in the, <laughs> some venues I've been, <laughs> I've been to. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, very, they're all very similar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want us to, to start on a common ground. And I wonder if you can just make a little history of Scott, just very, really brief, because you, okay. you start the book with with a, a very brief history of ska music and i think it was super interesting and uh you talk about history i mean almost for all the book <laughs> but can you just summarize it for the listeners sure, so sure. we start on something common and yeah then, yeah well, yeah people you could write a whole book about every oh, sure mm-hmm. every period of ska but the really really like the cliff notes about ska was that it started in the 50s in jamaica um it's official roots and officially who made it or I feel like are up for debate or a little bit mysterious but sure. what we what we do know is that the influences that went into early ska were um American R&B music because a lot of those records were were getting shipped down to Jamaica and they mm-hmm. were very popular at the sound systems where the DJs would play music for people and um jazz music not just American, but British and and other kinds Mm -hmm. of jazz was very popular in Jamaica. So you had these two influences, but you also had the style of music called Mento, which was like the Jamaican folk music um, that was already, already existed before ska. And that was another major influence that came into the the beginning stages of ska music. Um, And it existed um, for, you know, probably till the early Mm sixties and then, Scott evolved into what we call rock steady, which yeah. is a little bit different beat. And then that evolved into reggae, like the early version of reggae from like the late sixties, which is a little bit more, a little fast, faster mm-hmm. version of reggae. And then in the seventies, we call that period roots reggae. That's a slower yeah. reggae. The bass is a lot deeper. Uh, it tends to be like the more political, like spiritual form of reggae that most people are familiar with, like the the later Bob Marley mm-hmm. stuff and all that stuff. So when we're in the late 70s, ska has kind of, in Jamaica, it's kind of evolved beyond it. People are kind of onto the new thing. And so ska sort of exists mostly in like the records that left behind. So then in in England in the late 70s, there's a lot of immigrants from the Caribbean islands, Jamaica specifically. Yeah. So the music is carried on uh, in England, in these communities. But what's really popular is reggae. And it's pop, reggae has gotten popular with the punk rockers. It's gotten popular with, uh, you know, people into alternative music too. Mm-hmm. But so some of these, some of these musicians, some of the Caribbean immigrants, a kind of a mix of people, revived ska in the late seventies, and but they made it, they mixed it with the punk music of the time. So they they gave it a whole different sound. We call that 
two-tone ska two because tones, yeah the reason we call it two-tone is because the label that released much of the music which was owned by this keyboardist from specials was called two-tone oh so, i didn't know so that, that. <laughs> so, so they didn't call it two-tone scott at the time in retrospect we call it two-tone scott just kind of a oh to represent to, because it represents yeah, yeah. this era this okay yeah great that was just the record label but and a lot of those <laughs> bands moved on to other labels even you know yeah, it wasn't yeah. like it it can encased all of them but yeah that's what we call it that but what happened so two-tone was was mainstream top 40 pop music in England. It was extremely popular. It was every, all the kids, you know, all the kids were into it. Mm -hmm. It was very popular. The music kind of, the bands, they started playing in other countries, the records starting in the other countries. But for the most part, it didn't catch on the same way that it did in England. It was, became sort of this underground cult mm -hmm. thing. Oh so yeah, totally. In, in, in the United States, um lots of bands started that were into two-tone and they were not like mainstream pop bands but they were bands that played clubs they would and they were very popular they would play to 500 800 people um but it didn't really crack that sort of pop market the way it did in england so you this music just kind of exists in the underground in many many countries for many years and then in the u.s it caught it hit mainstream in the, the mid to late 90s mm -hmm. with bands like Real Big Fish, um, Say Ferris, um, Mighty Mighty Boston's. Yeah. Those are the bands. But this is like a 15-year gap between when the music was an underground sensation mm. in the U.S. to when it became mainstream. But it continued to be popular in the underground that entire time. And in fact, it, it grew... There was a very healthy underground um, network of mm -hmm. record labels and zines and you know touring network and all that stuff. So it was a it was a it was a it was a scene. These band, the bands were doing well before it became mainstream. So then, when it became mainstream, a lot of people weren't aware of it beforehand, and they didn't understand where the music came from. Totally. They didn't understand. It's totally my case. I'm because I yeah. discovered ska with those bands you just you just talked about, Real Big mm -hmm. Fish, etc. Yeah. When I was at the end of high school, so I was 17. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, "Oh, ska is so fun! It's only party songs," <laughs> and I stayed with this idea for so long. So yeah. <laughs> And, you know, in, in Canada, you had a lot of bands in the 80s and, and early 90s that were playing ska. Like, um, my favorite band from Canada in that era was King Apparatus, who were uh, a great kind of a rock and roll. Oh, I don't know them. Mm. Chris Murray, um, the singer of that band, he's since moved to L.A. and he's been pretty, like, oh. a big fixture of the ska scene down here. But that was his band back back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh There was a several other. A little later, you have the Planet Smashers. They're probably yeah. one of the biggest bands no, from it's Canada. Yeah. One of the bands that I've seen the most in my entire yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw them maybe oof, pff, uh, 60 times. <laughs> yeah. And the label that they're on and, and several other bands is called Stomp, Stomp Records. Stomp Records. Sort of mm -hmm. The main ska record label out of Canada. Yeah. So, And so, but in the U.S., because it became so mainstream for such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And then it became very, just kind of left. There's this idea that ska was this trend that happened and then left. Mm -hmm. And so people don't understand its context. And then a lot of people made fun of it because they thought it was just um, silly music that kids were into for a few years and then got out of. 
Yeah. And then, but it continued on. It, like the last 20 years, it's, there's been plenty of ska bands. There's lots of ska fans. It's just back in the underground is what happened. It didn't disappear. And no. I think that those are, these are all things that I tried to make a point of explaining in my book that it didn't come from nowhere and it didn't leave. It's, yeah. um, it's, a, it's a vibrant scene that really hasn't left. I mean, once, once the two-tone bands revive it, it's continued to be popular and it has been popular all over the world. It, it's still popular in other countries like Mexico and Japan and all over Europe, all over Latin America, mm-hmm. Australia. It's, you know, there are ska scenes everywhere. And in, in some countries, it's just considered a another mainstream genre. It's not, you know. Yeah, maybe it's, do you think it's similar with punk rock? Because sometimes we're like, oh, Blink, it's not punk rock. They don't represent punk rock. But the the, the underground bands are still super popular too. Popular yeah. in the, you know what I mean? Like in, in the underground scene. Yeah. So the, both exist. And do you, do you, can you compare to this? It's similar, except that... Um, People don't really make fun of punk or think punk yeah. is silly music. That's, I think, the main difference is I think people thought of ska as kind of just goofy music that a bunch of silly kids from the suburbs mm-hmm. made, and then they got out of it. It's not true. It also doesn't reflect ska wasn't just a suburban genre, even in the 90s and to the present. It, people from all kinds of different ethnicities and classes and neighborhoods mm-hmm. and countries have have really embraced this music. So it was it's made fun of as this like white suburban music. That's kind of in the 90s, but that's really doesn't reflect it accurately. Yeah. Wow. Oof. I, there are so many things in your book that I I read that and I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't know it was that way <laughs> because you're you're talking a lot about um people making fun of ska music and I didn't know it was that worst. But you, you mm-hmm. say that some bands were ashamed to, of playing ska, uh, and I was really surprised about that. But uh-huh, yeah. I, I understand. Reading your book, I was like, okay, I understand, but I was like shocked. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's... I don't know for sure if it's similar in Canada, if bands felt the same way as they did here. I don't know. They, I'm going yeah, I'm gonna search for this information. You can be sure about that because I never... <laughs> but like I told you, I was a teenager when I discovered ska, uh, mainstream ska, and it was so popular that I, I didn't notice. <laughs> but I want to I question some ska bands here. Yeah. It's sad. It made me sad reading this. Yeah. Because I knew that For example, Propagandi wrote a song about Ska, Ska sucks, but mm-hmm. for me it was just a joke, but reading your book, I was like, oh, no, it was serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't meant to be, uh, uh, it wasn't meant to make fun of Ska. No. The, 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 yeah, which I think uh, like a lot of people don't know that about the history of that song, that it was, it was written under completely different, uh, a, pretty, a completely different premise and yeah. than the way it was ended up getting taken. Oh, yeah. So... I think it's really inter- interesting too because ska and punk fits together, but also they were fighting together against each other a little. How can you explain mm-hmm. this? Um, I think that the reason that they, they actually, I felt like in the in the late 80s and early 90s, I felt like they were very, very closely linked together. I don't think mm-hmm. there was a ton of like inner fighting. Like my band, we didn't play with a ton of ska bands just because there wasn't a lot. So mm-hmm. we played with more punk bands than ska bands. And I rarely felt like it was we weren't welcome or that we were, you know, made fun of. I mean, it just mm-hmm. seemed like it was a, a welcome part of the scene at the time. I think I think you start to see a little more of the div- it diverging when I think when Skog was mainstream and some of the some of the way it's it's pigeonholed 
as a mainstream genre. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's where you kind of see more a divide. Um, But I think because of bands like Operation Ivy and some of these early bands, I think the ska and punk became a lot closer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, and then in the nineties, DIY touring really exploded. So all of, all of the ska bands were touring the same venues and same Mm -hmm. stuff because of that. Yeah. Oh, and I like how much you talk about Operation Ivy, how they, yeah, they contributed to, to unite uh, punk and ska, because that's, mm-hmm. that's how they play. And, oh, it's so sad that they only made, <laughs> they, they, they didn't even tour their album. It's crazy. Yeah, they, didn't, yeah? they, they broke up before that album. Yeah, they only did one tour oh, and ever. The, yeah. And this album was so popular <laughs> afterwards. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really, I think it was, the band was starting to get attention yeah. before they broke up but they really weren't that big even when they broke up yeah. Yeah, but they they could see they could see it coming like i think just before they broke up mm-hmm. but it was really they were not nowhere near what they became like one to two years after they broke up that's when i feel like it was a couple of years after they broke up that's when mm-hmm. energy was really making the rounds and that's when all everybody was suddenly just really embracing that record Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I want you to talk to me uh, and the listeners more about Skanking Pickles because uh, you talked a lot about them in your book. They had, I think, a major influence on you uh, mm-hmm. and on, on Scott on the scene. Uh, they mm-hmm. started a label, if I'm correct. They started yes. like Dill, Dill, Dill Records. Yeah. <laughs> That made me laugh. <laughs> So yeah, t- talk to me about them. I I didn't know them before. I yeah. I listened to a couple of songs. So good, yeah. So do you, they're a little bit. You become you you became friends friend with them. Yeah. Yeah. After are, the sh- after that bit, show, <laughs> they're a little bit lost to history for people who are not like big ska fans mm-hmm. because um, they um, I don't know they just they broke up a little bit before ska got super big and yeah. I think. They just didn't have, even as good as they were, they didn't quite have that album that was like Operation Ivy Energy that just really exploded. They, they just didn't quite have that. So they are a little bit lost to history. But at the time, they were one of the biggest ska bands. I mm-hmm. think like anybody that was into ska in like the early to mid-90s was oh, definitely aware of them, probably a mm-hmm. fan of them. And most people my age who are a little bit younger than Skank and Pickle who started a ska band in the early 90s, probably Skank and Pickle was one of the biggest influences. I mean, that's just like, you know, most of my peers agree with me there. Wow. Unless they were into very traditional, you know, ska. If they were into like interesting punk rock related ska, they probably were Skank and Pickle because Skank and Pickle formed, I want to say in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the earlier bands of that generation that were um, kind of the post-Operation Ivy generation that were, Yeah, and post I would say post Fishbone, post Operation IV, because those two bands were the biggest shift away from two tone. You have Fishbone, where we're playing just really eclectic uh, music with mm-hmm. ska as a major component in the '80s. Operation IV was taking very very punk rock style of music and putting ska as a, in it. So those two bands, like every band that came after them, was influenced by them. Mm-hmm. Skank and Pickle. Even less than Jake, you you oh, say yeah, sure. in your book that you talked to uh, Chris the Make, and he he was a big fan of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and great. then they and Skank and Pickle toured so much in the early days too. So they got really got around. They're from where I'm from, which is Northern California, mm-hmm. but they were touring all over the country constantly. 
uh, before a lot of the other bands were because they were just so so eager to get out there and and you know quit their jobs and be able to play full time so they did that so i think like well what i loved about skanking pickle i think was partly was that they were such they put on such a good show they were really good performers i also really liked how um diverse their music was mm-hmm. like they were really all over the place and Scott was a Scott was definitely like the main thing, but they they really allowed their lot. It was very much in the spirit of Fishbone, which yeah. did the same thing. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like in terms of why it was so personally important to me, I think some of it was because they were the entry point for mm-hmm. Scott to me. And then, yeah, I became I became friends with them. And Skank and Pickle had a record label called Dill Records, like you said. Yeah. And and they were releasing interesting bands. But then when Skank and Pickle broke up, Mike Park, who is the singer and saxophonist, mm-hmm. he went and he started Asian Man Records. Asian Man oh, Records. Oh yeah. I okay, yeah, now I see. Asian Great. Man Records, I, f- I feel like became the mm-hmm. the most interesting label for Scott in the late 90s. And they were they existed at the at the counter to the mainstream ska movement. Even though they released Less Than Jake's first record, Less Than Jake went to a major. Um, they released uh, you know early Alkaline Trio, not a ska band, but mm-hmm. a band that got pretty big. And um, but you see all these other bands like Slow Gherkin, Mu Three Thirty, they Slapstick, doing really really interesting things, but not as popular. Mm-hmm. This was like a lot of this was like Asian Man Records bands. So I think. When we look back at time, when we look back at time of the '90s for what was the bands that held up the mm-hmm. best, uh, most of them were on Asian Man Records, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because you you're talking about um, Mike Park, and you said that at some point he wanted to start a, a tour, Scott Against Racism tour. Yeah, he, yeah, he did a Scott Against Racism tour, yeah. Because he wanted to bring back the um, anti-racist, the, the values of Scott. I think it was really interesting part of the book when you you're talking about that because yeah. he, he felt like some things was uh, maybe becoming mainstream, and he wanted to be sure that the the roots yeah. value. I don't know how to say that in English, but like you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, like when you go back to the late 70s of England, the two-tone era, anti-racism was a, I would say it was a primary component of the bands. Mm -hmm. It was up, it was up in front. They, they presented it. They Mm -hmm. talked about it. The music reflected it. It was, you know, anyone who was a fan of it was aware that these bands were speaking Mm -hmm. out against racism and, um, That continued to be an important value in ska. I think what Mike felt was like, as the music was being um, taken into the mainstream, it wasn't necessarily the bands themselves that were distancing themselves from it. It was that the major labels, the radio stations, MTV, Mm -hmm. they they weren't really like saying ska music is anti-racist music, ska music stands for... They didn't really... Whether it was through ignorance or marketing, I'm not really sure. So he wanted... Now that people were really into ska and it was mainstream, he wanted to like educate the new kids getting into the music, say like, this is, this is where this music comes from. This is where this, what this music stands for. And, you know, all all these bands were, were game to participate and to like, you know, say like, yeah, we agree. We, we, we we agree with this mission, you know, including bands like Less Than Jake and stuff Mm -hmm. who were on major labels at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that has continued on, you know, new bands are still, you know, 
Totally. They're saying they're saying the same message, you know, bands that started in in the last year, in the last decade. But do you think it could have it could have been um a reason why uh ska was so I mean, people were laughing about ska and mockering because is that they didn't understand that it was there was serious elements to it? Yeah. But yeah, like you I would said, say I, just, I say so I think yeah, the people I think mm. if people understood that ska was there was so much serious political and anti-racist components to it, and you know, ska fought against racism for a while because mm -hmm. at some point yeah. you, there was Nazi at some shows. We had this problem here in Quebec too, like mm -hmm. na Nazi people or uh, racist people would go to shows just to intimidate intimidate people. And you're talking yeah. a lot about that in the book, and it's so important yeah. to remember this. Like, yeah, we had we had that, you know, that was a component that happened. The, 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 the Nazis showing up to shows was definitely a thing that happened in the punk scene, mm -hmm. the ska yeah. scene. It was happening just sort of in that underground scene. And most most of these scenes and most of these bands sort of took a stand against mm -hmm. it and didn't permit them to invade the scene. You know, they, mm -hmm. like there's a I don't think I put this in the book. I might have, I can't remember, but there's a famous story about uh, at the at 924 Gilman where they had sort of been dealing with them, um, mm -hmm. one or two of them coming in and they, they were, I think they were, didn't really want to punch them or fight them. So they sort of would say stuff like, okay, well, you know, wear your shirt inside out, you know, don't cause a problem, mm -hmm. but they would cause problems because that's what they're there to do. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so eventually... Um, Eventually, they told them just you got to leave, and they wouldn't leave. So they got into this big brawl, and um, like a whole bunch of people, <laughs> a big fight. But you know, the 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 Gilman people kicked their asses, and they ran away screaming. And then you stop seeing them; they just stop showing up. Yeah. So it's like you kind of have to, like, you know, it sucks, but you kind of have to deal with them that way. Like you're not welcome. You know, not you can't be polite about it. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> so I can understand that some people were a little pissed to see that ska was becoming more commercial and not talking yeah. about those things because we they got through this period of time where it was really hard with racist people you know so i can mm. under but you still wrote them a chapter called uh defending <laughs> real big fish which represent maybe this uh, more commercial sound and i think it was yeah, super yeah. interesting you're, you're telling great stories about them like um they never flipped burger like the song sell out <laughs> it was just a lie <laughs> yeah my, my my intention most of my book is doesn't focus on mainstream scott no. but I, my intention with rebuild to defend real big fish was a little bit different than a lot of the other chapters i think i wanted yeah. to say I wanted to speak to like the hardcore ska fans that feel like they ruined ska because they were goofy and they were mainstream. And I just felt like they're being a little extreme in that opinion. I feel like Real Big Fish weren't as goofy as people let on. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of their songs are pretty serious. I mean, there's a they use humor. It's yeah. pointed. It's pointed humor. You know, it's probably like done in an obnoxious way, but it's also talking about depression and mm -hmm. anger and all these issues. Alcohol and problems. Yeah, yeah. So they're talking about real things. It's not just just meaningless music. And I also feel like they deserve respect for sort of staying the course with Ska. Like, you know, when Ska got out of fashion, mm -hmm. those guys continue to put out albums. They continue to tour like 200, 250 oh, shows shit, a year. Yeah crazy and they they continue to be this entryway point for new kids getting into ska when there was 
hardly any other ska bands mm-hmm. still out there. So that was the band they could go see and see a big ska show. Totally. So I feel like they, and a lot of those kids ended up getting into more different kinds of ska. So, you know, I think Real Big Fish deserve credit for I'm that. I'm one you know? of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm totally one of them. <laughs> also, I'd say Less Than Jake. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, mm-hmm. Less Than Jake also. Um, Toasters, not quite as big, but those guys, those were, they were pretty consistent. But, you know, there's only a handful of bands that were as consistent as Real Big Fish were. In, if you look at the last 20 years. Yeah. And it's funny because they turned their back to major labels or something because they asked them to drop the, the horns, <laughs> to stop playing horns in their show, yeah, in yeah. their album. I was like, what? <laughs> And they just said, no, thanks. We're going to keep our horns in our, in our songs. <laughs> yeah, so they were, the, they were not as sellout as we could think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. What an interesting man. I learned so many things, like I said. I'm so happy to do this podcast. Recommendation! <laughs> I think I'm really funny right now. Okay, so the second recommendation for today is for a band I discovered like two days ago because of my friends from the Mabel Syndrome podcast and their very nice Instagram account, Skapunk Daily. They are amazing, by the way. And they posted about this fantastic band called Bite Me Bambi. It's a ska band from California who mix the British two tones and the more recent waves of ska. And I love the vocals so much. I want to go skank at their show someday. Absolutely. So let's listen to their last single called Like That.
Bite me Bambi, baby! Yeah, that's it for today, my sweet friends! I hope this episode made you happy and you learned a lot of stuff about ska music! Give some love to Aaron Carnes and our two recommendations for Bite Me Bambi and Three BDs Down! Check the show notes if you want to encourage them and reach them! On the next episode, you'll hear part two of this amazing conversation with Aaron Carnes. Thank you to our sponsor, EpicMerchStore.com. They are amazing. Merci to Scott Alquist for the edit. Thank you to Jean-Philippe Alain for the intro and outro music. And merci to Caroline Morin for the logo. Follow me on social medias for more punk rock fun. Cheers! And see you next week. Skank your life, punk rockers. Scott punk rockers. Ha, ha, ha.